The following is a conversation between Louise Dubay, Executive Director of iCivics, and Denver Frederick, the host of The Business of Giving. iCivics provides educational online games and lesson plans to promote civics education and encourage students to become active citizens. But like so many other nonprofit organizations, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, it had to quickly reimagine its service delivery model and bring these lessons into the homes of children. And here to tell us how they move so quickly to do that is Louise Dubay, the Executive Director of iCivics. Welcome back to the Business of Giving, Louise. It's such a pleasure to be with you, Denver, again, but at this difficult time, but it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You know, first tell us about the organization, a little bit about its history and the work that you do. So iCivics was founded by Justice Sandra Day O'Connor to reimagine civic learning. She grew up in a time when there was a civic mission of schools as the primary mission of all schooling. And she found as she retired from the court, the Supreme Court, she was the first woman on the Supreme Court, of course, um, that that was no longer the case. And she was looking for a way to actually reach kids of today. What are they doing? How could we reach them? So she decided to create iCivics and we have a set of games, uh, 16 games, all of our material is free. And we use those games to reach students and to interest them in our system of government and how the American constitutional democracy works. We have not only games, we also, as you say, have over 200 lesson plans. We have homework activities. And so a lot of our work is teaching students from grades three, four, usually all the way through 12th grade. And so from our humble beginnings in Sandra Day O'Connor's living room, we are now a set of over 118,000 educators every year who use our materials and 7 million students uh, a year all over all 50 states. And that is only a part of our work. We also run a coalition called Civics Now, C-I-V-X-N-O-W.org. And that coalition is 119 organizations banding together because trying to teach civics around the edges, which is where it is in schools now, is never going to work. So we are banding together to make a priority for our nation to put civics back at the core of what the schooling experience is. Mm -hmm. So when it became apparent to you, Louise, to your board, to your team, that there was going to be no more school this year, how did you react and what did you do to begin to respond? Well, first of all, I was just about to get on a plane to South by Southwest EDU where we had several panels going. And that was, I think, March 6th or something. Yeah. Five right, o'clock. they and I was, canceled it. That's right. At five o'clock on Friday night, I was leaving on Monday morning. I was like, uh, really? I'm going to have to go. This seems a little bit, you know, they weren't canceling. Finally, the city of Austin, Texas shuts them down and I wasn't going to go. And, and I realized at that point the magnitude of this problem. So uh, that is essentially when we shut down our office, or at least suggested to people that they stay home if they could. And then subsequently, Governor Baker here in Massachusetts told us to stay home. And then the, the realization was not overnight. It was slow. And subsequently, school by school, district by district, ultimately state by state. And now we're in a situation where there is no more schooling, I think, in 38 states for the rest of the year. So I think that realization really took us a little while and then we got together as a team and we started to make some new resources, we lists. And, and then we kept hearing back, well, we got a lot of lists here. It's not what we need. 
We need something new, something different. The real turning point for us at iCivics was hosting these experiences with our educators. We have a 330 person educator network. These are the people who are closest to us and they teach using iCivics almost exclusively. In some cases, they do a lot of different things, but they are the people that we rely on. And some of these two hour long, three hour long conversations ended up to be, I would say, close to a therapy session because the, the level of disruption and pain, the challenges around equity were really, I mean, very, very difficult to hear. Yeah. And so they shared across from all different states what was going on. It was very similar. So the exact circumstances were different. But I remember one guy from Maine saying that school administrators were distributing food free lunches to the houses by hand and realizing the level of poverty that they just have never seen. I mean, that's just, it's incredible that we haven't seen that before, but it's yeah. also very powerful to have that. So we kept listening to them and listening to what they needed. And I think mm -hmm. we took away from that a couple of things. One is that remote learning is not the same. So we in Massachusetts, for example, and I would venture to say in most states, we do not have the same accountability measures this year. All the districts have gone to pass fail for the rest of the year, and, and that is common. So that level, there are a couple different things that happen in a school building. One of it is that they're captive. The students are captive. They're there. And another is that the incentive is primarily around completing in grades. When you take all of those things away, what is left? A lot of the educators were reporting, well, actually, they don't show up. The kids don't show up to online classes. They don't show up. What would make them show up is really the essence of the question that we're asking now. And so that is how we got the essence of an idea that, that we needed to structure uh, our offerings better so that they are more self-managed. The parents who are completely overwhelmed could simply assign something that doesn't need a whole lot of hand-holding in the same way that an educator would, normal times. And then that we build in motivation and incentives as part of our offering. And then we came up with a game odyssey as part of our remote toolkit. To do that, we took a 180 degree turn. We took people off of their existing assignments and we said, drop everything and do this. And so we felt a real need to be of service at this time. And this was the best thing we could do. And I yeah. think everybody on the team did that. Yeah, that's a very interesting journey you just took us through. And as you said, this manifested itself in a free iCivics remote learning toolkit. Just give us a highlight or two from that. Yeah, so all of our resources are free. We are entirely funded by philanthropy, and we're happy to do so. So if you go to iCivics.org at the top, you'll see a link to the Remote Toolkit. The Remote Toolkit supports both educators and parents. So you self-identify as an educator or a parent. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are an educator, you get a little more of the integration with Google Classroom. You get some professional development webinars and you get our resources structured by grade level in a bit of a more in-depth way. If you're a parent, you get these game odysseys that are self-managed and that we keep adding more content to. 
So the idea is that we release one a week and so you can come back and do more. They have been incredibly popular. Mm-hmm. So we're really pleased with the level of traffic that we're seeing to this. In fact, our overall site traffic is up 30% from wow. last year. Mm-hmm. Our new teachers, which includes also new educators, just new registrations, uh, they are up 120%. So we are seeing a whole lot of new people coming to civics and iCivics and that. We're just grateful for that. We are, I think, pretty well designed for the current time. So our basic premise is that this is a civic moment. Mm -hmm. We are seeing federalism at play. So what is the role of your local mayor or your local county supervisor and your governor and the federal government? Uh, These are things that are happening in real time that students have questions about. We just need to structure the experience in a way that they're going to lose themselves and they're Mm going to find fascinating. So that's what we're trying to do to make content that's relevant and exciting for students. And we found that it works. So um, we're thrilled. Yeah. Speaking of the federal government, have you been up on the Hill? I mean, at least virtually in terms of advocating for some funds in the stimulus bills? Yes. Well, so there are multiple levels in federal funding. One is that obviously, like almost all nonprofits, we have suffered considerable losses as a result of this, uh, no fundraisers and so on. And so we have applied for immediate funding. But on the larger level, I think the field in general is not well prepared for remote learning. Some of these early learnings that we're experiencing, other programs are also going through that and need an infusion of uh, support in order to support schools to do this work. It's just at a time where they're losing philanthropic dollars or fundraising dollars. So we have banded together. Today, actually, we sent out a sign-on letter for the Civics Now Coalition to ask people to help us advocate for a $40 million stimulus package at this time for this kind of integrative and important experience to be made available during the time of remote learning. So Mm -hmm. that's another one. And, And even more broadly, we've been advocating for a return of a federal role in civic education. So there was a commission on military, national, and public service that issued recommendations that included the importance of civic education and funding civic education. I'll just add that federally, STEM gets about $154 a year in funding for every student in our country. Civics gets three cents. Uh, Is it no wonder that we get the results that we do? We are seeing the results now. Uh, The NAEP Civics Test just released today, 24% proficiency level, which is almost no change from 2014, which had 23% proficiency. Mm. We then, history and geography have actually gone down in proficiency level. So I think there's a real problem here. And if we don't get serious about it, we will not see a change in these results. Yeah, and if we don't get serious about it now, Louise, you have to ask yourself, when will we ever get serious about it? Because in terms of geography, we see how all interconnected we are. And I would say that a lot of young people maybe have never fully appreciated the importance of public service and government, but we see it on our TVs every minute of every day right now. And they are the ones who are at the center of this, not private companies, and certainly not nonprofit organizations. It's our government leaders and how that all works together. So they really do need to do it at this moment. 
Right. I think that this moment is really highlighting the importance of the elected efficient of the representation that we have and how only those kind of coordinated actions can help us get out of these crises. Uh, so the interplay between local, state, and federal government is important. It's important to have competence all throughout those systems. It is also important to have civic strength between people. Government mm-hmm. plays an important role. We have to understand it. We have to have a role in it. So civic participation as part of government is an important part of it. It is also important that we realize that each of us is tied to the other and that we are dependent on others to do the right thing in Mm -hmm. this crisis in terms of social distancing and that we can't pretend like we're not tied. And so I hope that this moment will provide an opportunity for us to take action, to come back to those basic fundamental premise about how this American system of government works. We're not like China. China Mm -hmm. locked people in their houses. We are never going to do that here in America. And our response depends on our respecting and and following the directions of our governments and also having respect for the other. So those are, are more complicated. Democracy is much more messy, but unless we train young people, Mm-hmm. As to how the system work and how they can be a part of it. And I, I think we're going to miss the boat. Yeah, I got you. And personal responsibility, the big, big piece of it. Yes. So what's it been like to be a leader in a crisis? I mean, you have a community, you have a team, you have a board, you have a lot of issues. And I'm sure you have never faced any kind of uncertainty or ambiguity like this before. Nobody's going to know what's going to happen not in the fall, maybe not in 2021. So as a leader, how do you think about this? What characteristics or qualities have you leaned on in terms of trying to navigate your organization and your field through this crisis? That's such a lovely question, Denver. It's been a learning experience for me. So we are asked as leaders to manage in a level of uncertainty that I never thought I would experience. So you have to make decisions that are complex in systems that are complex. So for example, we needed to retool very quickly. That required a lot of work from a lot of people. Well, we have 19 people, most of whom are caretakers for young kids in their own homes. I see the real drain on them every day. And we have a lot of two-year-olds that show up to meetings. And and so I'm asking them to do something that's really hard because my kids are older, but I remember those days and how Mm -hmm. draining it is to do that. So I've had to try to be realistic, care for their well-being in a way that really hasn't been asked of me before be clear, be more connected, even despite the distance, but also lead. I think of all the times, it is the most important to lead right now. That's is when you're going to feel. You're going to have to shape a direction and say, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this. And I may be damn wrong because mm-hmm. I don't know. Nobody knows. And we have a lot of uncertainty. So one question is, how much do you cut expenses? I think every leader in this field, we have cut expenses, but how much, how deep? We don't know, but we have to nevertheless make decisions. So it asks of us to strap in and say, we will make it out of this. We Mm -hmm. will be creative and we will stay together. And it's more than we've had to do before, but frankly, there's a challenge to it. There's a a part of which, which I think allows you to 
get the best out of your team. And I have such wonderful people. I mean, every day I'm in awe of them. Yeah, yeah, you do have a great team. I do know that. And you're right, tough times do require tough action. I have noted that a lot of leaders such as yourself have shortened your timelines. So you look at things and you're reviewing them constantly because things are changing. And even those decisions about how much you cut, you might have to cut more next week because things can change. So I see this compression of timelines, but all of it has to be imbued with a sense of optimism that you talked about that, you know, the leader does have to show that we are going to make it through and it's going to be fine. How do you think this is going to change the sector? Have you thought about that at all? I know you get so much right in front of you right now, Louise, but you ever start to think about how philanthropy and what we do is going to change and how nonprofit organizations have to operate once we come out of this? I spend less time about that. I think a lot about how the education sector is going to change. Okay, talk about Uh, that. Yeah, it's, I think we're going to demand more of technology than we have in the past. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we have set the bar pretty low on technology in the past. And I think particularly with respect to its capacity, we're going to elevate the bar and we're going to have to elevate our game. So that's one piece. In terms of the philanthropic sector, what I've seen so far is that philanthropy has decided to double down on their existing grantees, and it's very hard to get money from new sources right now. They have not seemed, and you may know more about this than I do, but they have not seemed to increase their giving rate in any substantial way, really, but reallocate what funds they have and maybe around the edges to maintain their endowments. So is that going to change? I really don't know. I can only say that I hope that what it would do, given the timelines that you're talking about, sort of this attitude of fail fast and learn would Mm -hmm. be a more accepted part of our proposals and how we operate. So instead of asking us to say and promise, well, you will get this by that time, here's an area that needs to be studied, learned from, and supported. And let us evolve that thinking in a joint way with funders. Uh, Some funders do this, many do, but many don't yet. I think that if there's anything, this is somewhat just uh, hopefulness, but I hope that that will continue to be the case. And I hope that the trend to more general operating support dollars in that light would also increase. I'm not sure, Uh, Mm -hmm. but I I, I do hope that that continues. Yeah, yeah. Well, these have been great trends that we've seen in this short term as to whether they persist uh, a year or two from now really remains to be seen. Finally, uh, Louise, boy, you, there are a series of challenges that are in front of you and every other nonprofit, but do you see um, opportunities for institutions such as yours to learn, to evolve, and maybe to see some new possibilities that exist at the other end of this? Oh, absolutely. But that's sort of in my nature. I strongly believe in collaboration. So we teach civics and civics in the U.S. is about finding substantial agreement across differences. So we live and breathe that value every day. So I believe that we can collaborate across differences with other organizations to be better for it. So that's really the area that we're pushing on. So we have several projects right now in which we're doing that. So we have a new emerging collaboration called the Common Good Collaborative with all the six largest players in civic education. And so all of those organizations come from very different ideas about how the world should work and different political leanings as well, if they have any. I think this moment is showing us that we are more linked than we are 
separated. Mm -hmm. I've seen some recent data on attitude check-ins from before COVID-19 until now. And you can see that people understand that more. It doesn't mean that the political divisions are going to evaporate. In fact, they could get worse. Yeah. Uh, but it does mean that people fundamentally understand that there is substantial agreement around some important things. And I think we, we have a duty to look for that. Mm -hmm. And we have a duty to collaborate together to provide services in a more in-depth way together. So hopefully that will emerge in general across our work, um, mm -hmm. that we'll find more opportunities to collaborate with others. You know, as we said, it's a challenging financial time for all nonprofit organizations. What can listeners do to support yours? Oh, well, thank you for that. Uh, so go to isaacs.org and click on donate. We are entirely reliant on philanthropic dollars, and this is a tough time. We had to cancel a fundraiser um, that was we had predicted would yield hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. We had a contract canceled for a million bucks. We are a $5 million operation. So mm -hmm. this is uh, going to be a very, very tough time with the philanthropic sector that was depending on fundraisers and in live events being decimated. And so how do we come out of that? That's another opportunity is to try to figure that out. But, but for now, we really need uh, help and support to continue make these resources available to every student, parent, and educator that wants them. And, and there are a lot of them. So yeah. we hope to get your support. Absolutely. Well, give us some money here while we're trying to figure it out. You know, it's always such a delight to talk to you, Louise. And I just want to express my gratitude to you for taking the time and sharing these thoughts and ideas with us today. Thank you very much and be well. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.